exalt us, Christ. Oh, he's a chain breaker. The deliverer is in the house. The healer is in the house. I don't know what some of you drug in here this morning, but you don't have to drag it back home with you because he is here to set the captive free, deliver sight to the blind, and to let the lame leap, run, and praise God. I wish I had one witness in this church that would just about tell me that what God has already done for me ain't all he's going to do for me. He's brought me this far not to let me die now, but he's got a future and a promise. Is there anybody that believes God has still got a plan for them? In the- Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Mighty God. Hallelujah. While you're standing, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you've got one. If not, there'll be a big one on my uh, wall above my head. John chapter 21. I'm in week five of a series that I have titled, I'm Better Than This. Mm. I'm Better Than This. That's going to become a very important concept at the end of this message. I'm better than this. Pastor, you don't know where I'm at. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're better than this. There's yet another version of yourself that you haven't tapped into yet. God's not finished with you. He's got plans for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bring you to His expected end. I'm better than this. This is Palm Sunday. The week before we celebrate getting up morning. Resurrection morning. This is the day when Jesus made what we call his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. One week later, he would be killed on a cross, hidden in a borrowed tomb. You can borrow one when you're just going to need it for a little while. And then, of course, he would get up, the Bible says, show himself with many infallible proofs to those who witnessed his resurrection for 40 days before he went back to sit at the right hand of the Father. And for all this, we're thankful in this Easter season. But I'm better than this. I'm better than just realizing what Jesus has done. I need to also realize what's happening to me in every season I live. See, Jesus is not just some ambiguous Savior that gives us a hope for right now, or a future in heaven. He gives me hope for right now. He helps me in my present weakness. Now, I lost my whole amen committee because none of y'all won't admit that you got some weaknesses. But I come here this morning, all 235 pounds of me to step on your toes to get you to admit you got some weaknesses. Because the first step in getting better is to admit something's broke. And so I want you to admit this morning that there's some things in your life, in your spirit, in your personality, in your faith, in your heart, in your walk with God that is not quite where you need it to be. I'm better than this. And, and, and it doesn't matter what you've seen already. I know the old saints in the old church, we used to have testimonial services where everybody would just popcorn testify, st- jump up and tell what God has done. And in the church of God, we were famous for saying, I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we'd tell about what God has done. But I don't want you living in the past. I don't want you living and stuck in what God has done for you because I'm going to show you in John chapter 21 that you can witness Jesus coming down off the cross and still mess up. I mean, you could three days out from watching Jesus raise from the dead, you can run back to stuff that you thought he had delivered you from. I'm better than this. John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples. This is after Jesus has died and resurrected. He appears to them at the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. 
Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, who is nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And like a bunch of other brothers, they looked at him and said, we'll come too. Fishing is contagious. I don't know if you knew that. But I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the what? In the what? They went out in the boat. Peter's boat. But they caught nothing all night. They went out in Peter's boat. But they caught nothing all night. I'm better than this. I'm better than where I am right now. And I want every person in this room to come to a realization before I let you out on Palm Sunday. To let you know that no matter how much you're shouting during Father's house or he's a chain breaker and you got tears rolling down your cheeks and you're remembering everything God did for you, I want you to know that he's more than what he's already done. The Bible declares he is a present help in our time of need. I don't want you, I'm glad you got a testimony. I'm glad you're thankful for what God has done, but I do not want you to hang your hat and your entire hope on what has already happened. I want you looking ahead of what you are right now because God has still got something he's working out in your life. I am better than this. Before you're seated, why don't you look at two or three people and tell them, I'm better than this and you are too. Can you do that? March 2021 looks abundantly better than March 2020 did. See, for the, for the past year, the whole world has been wondering how long it would be before we got back, and I kept hearing this word, get back to normal. But over the past year, I've done a lot of self-contemplating, and I've also done a lot of studying of other people. What does it even mean to get back to normal? Because I've lived enough days to know that what is normal to me may not be normal to you. I grew up without indoor plumbing. And everybody up the holler, y'all don't have hollers around here, but we had real mountains back home and hollers to go between them. And everybody up the holler lived like we lived, and I thought the whole world lived like we did, with an outhouse in the yard, toting water up from the creek, I thought everybody lived that way. I thought they made up places like New York City just for movies. I didn't know a place like that existed. I didn't know people had creature comforts like a room with a toilet in it inside the house. What's normal to me is not normal to you. So when we continue to tell each other that we're going to get back to normal, what does that even really mean? Because I'm old enough to remember some things, and I'm not ancient of days. But I have, I have recollections of things that this generation don't know anything about. Do you remember calling someone and not getting an answer? And I'm talking about you didn't get an answer in the next 30 seconds. I'm talking about it might be a day. What? I can remember calling people and them not being home and I didn't get a hold of them for a day 
or longer. How does that even work? The young people are like, what? Did they die? There are some of you today that if you send out a, a text message and don't get an answer in 27 seconds, you want to call the police station put out an APB. We have absolute, but normal, it was normal. Do you remember, I heard something the other day I hadn't heard in a long time, and it kind of freaked me out, and Hannah didn't even know what it was. It's called a busy signal. Listen, I called a, I called a garage and got a busy signal. I took it off my ear and hit speaker. Because it had been so long since, do you remember busy signals? You used to get them all the time. Now we've got four or five different lines, and, and it seems like nothing's ever been. As a matter of fact, the first words out of my mouth is, who still has busy signals? I didn't even know that was still a thing. Hannah said, what is that? And that's when I realized my normal is not everybody else's normal. As a matter of fact, what we really mean when we say get back to normal is Get back to familiar. Because my normal may not be your normal. What you eat for Easter dinner next week is stuff that I may turn my nose up at because my normal don't look like your normal. It sure don't smell like your normal. And, and, and so you love it, and I'm repulsed by it. So what we're really saying is, when do we get back to familiar? We don't know how to use landlines anymore. Uh, kids don't know what it's like to have to take a quarter with you when you left the house so you can make a payphone call. Today we're surfing and selfieing and Snapchatting. I can remember when you went and stood in line for stuff and waited, and that's what you got to do. Wait. Now we're surfing and we're selfieing and we're Snapchatting, and uh, everybody in line now all looks the same. Head down, phone out. Everybody. But when I was growing up, you waited in line and just waited. You may check your watch. You may chat some people up in the line. But that's what you got to do. You went to a doctor's office, and if you didn't, it wasn't interested in any of the magazines, you just got to wait. Now everybody's got computers in their pockets, and that's normal. But what is normal to one generation isn't normal to the next generation. So, so, so when my daughter, uh, when the Wi-Fi goes out at my house, my, my daughter thinks we moved to communist China. She thinks it's a tragedy if for 27 seconds we don't have Wi-Fi. If it blinks out, she comes running out of the room. What happened to the Wi-Fi? I may not see her for three days. Turn the Wi-Fi off. She'll come out. It used to be groceries, but she keeps a stash of them in there. So now if I want to see her and make sure she's still breathing and all, I turn the Wi-Fi off. She'll come out all pale and stuff where she ain't been out in the sun and hadn't saw the light of day in a while. So what do we really mean when we say get back to normal? What we really mean is, when will I be able to do what I used to be able to do? When will I recognize my life again? When are things going to become familiar? Because familiar is addictive. Like it or not, most people are creatures of habit. We are dealing with this situation right now, moving into this new church. We're having to do things differently than we've ever done them before. We're not able to do the things that we used to be able to do, and we have to embrace new things because of where we are and the mission that God has us on. And the only people that likes change is a dirty, diapered baby. And, and so when, when, when we start talking about people, we are creatures of habit. Most of us thrive in routine. Not in confusion. 
We are happiest and we are the most content when everything in life is familiar. But I want to ask you a question before I get into my sermon. Why do you think we're so addicted to familiar? Because when we have it, we don't appreciate it. Oh, don't quit on me now. Do you remember all them times that you got on Facebook and complained about Walmart not having anything in the store? And then March of 2020 hit and Walmart really didn't have anything? Because what you really meant was I went to Walmart and I wanted this specific brand of shampoo and they didn't have it. They had 27 other brands. But they don't have anything. And people would get on Facebook and make the biggest deal out of Walmart never has anything. And yet every time I've been to Walmart, there's stuff everywhere. I've never one time walked into Walmart found shelves bare until the pandemic hit. And then there was aisles and aisles of stuff. Do, do you remember that, that when the pandemic started, you didn't care what brand of toilet paper you had? You was just magnifying God you had some TP. Remember how mad you got that one time you went out to eat and the waitress was a little bit slow for your taste and the next people at the next table had a crying baby and it ruined your dinner and you came home mad as a wet hen, didn't want to leave a tip, all beside yourself cantankerous for three days because my dinner was ruined and then the pandemic hit and you got to sit in McDonald's parking lot with your ketchup and your uh, armrest and your fries between your legs dripping grease all down your shirt because you can't even go in and eat nowhere and you would thank God if you could go in and sit beside that screaming baby just to get out of your car to eat. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That was familiar, but because we get addicted to familiar, we like it, but then we criticize it because our familiar becomes something that we stop appreciating. You get familiar with your pastor, and it's easy to stop, stop appreciating it. You get familiar with your spouse. It's easy to stop appreciating it. You say things like, nobody ever calls me. Let that one person who tries to call you all the time stop, and you'll realize what lonely feels like. But because that one person isn't everybody that you want, you say, nobody ever calls me. But you've got somebody that appreciates you. Let that person stop and the familiar is broken and you'll realize how lonely you can really be. I'm amazed at folks because the same stuff we asked God to bring back into our life was the same stuff we complained about when we had it. So, so I'm praying that this Easter season, when we celebrate and most of us boil down the Christian faith to one theme, and that one theme is new beginnings, resurrection. I pray that as we begin to realize that we serve a God who is always progressing forward. Listen, for some reason, even though we serve a God that's always trying to move us forward, we are always desiring what was behind us. Especially when what was behind us is familiar. Our minds keep making us live life in reverse. Relapsing to what is familiar. This is Palm Sunday. 
Palm Sunday, Jesus rode in on a donkey that had never been ridden. It was a miracle, just like, just like you read the story, just like you've seen the movies. It was a miracle the way the donkey was even preserved. I've preached on that, and there's a lot of good preaching in that. People met Jesus in the streets, shouting praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were excited. It's easy to get excited when Jesus is right in front of you. They wanted Jesus there. Oh, yeah. Oh, pray. blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were excited. They wanted Jesus there. Why? Because they were looking forward to changes that they thought Jesus was going to make. They were tired of living under Roman oppression, and they thought Jesus was coming into town riding on a donkey because he was going to set up a kingdom and put down the Roman Empire, and they were going to be favored over the Romans. That's what they thought. But... Things did not work out the way they expected. So just like that, they've turned on Jesus. Oh, it is amazing to me. It's funny how fast folks will flip on you when they don't get out of you what they expect to get out of you. So before this week is over, the same crowd that was praising Jesus was standing by the courtyard saying, Crucify him and give us Barabbas. The same crowd who was in church on Sunday. Y'all not going to help me because I'm going to start preaching and offend about half the room. The same crowd that came to church on Sunday that was saying, oh, I want more of you, I want more of you. And then the world stopped and you didn't have nothing else but God and you got offended that you couldn't go here and you couldn't go there. And God was saying, you thought you wanted more of me. I've stepped into the room and said, here I am. And now what? It's funny how folks will change their tune when they're forced out of the familiar. The Bible gives us examples over and over and over again of people relapsing to what is familiar, even though God is trying to do a new thing in their life. I'm so glad that every Sunday we've got new faces coming back. People I haven't saw, I'm so glad. I'm so glad because there's a lot of folks that the familiar drew them back. They're never coming back to the house of God because they got, they got so uh, misplaced for four months, five months, six months, 12 months that they forgot to come back and give God praise. So the challenge of living by faith is that we're forced to look ahead while forgetting what's behind. I love your testimony. I'm glad you got a testimony. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelations tells us that we overcome that dragon, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm glad you think about what God has done, but I do not want you to put all of your faith in what He has done. I want you to be looking ahead because the familiar can be a trap that will keep you from believing greater days are ahead of me. See, I could go over and start preaching out of the book of Hosea where the people were lamenting over the old temple. The people were crying, the old timers, the old guard, the old church. They were standing around crying saying, Oh, this house that we are built for God is so much smaller than the old house. This church is so much different than the old church. And Hosea stood up and said, listen to what God says. The glory of the new is going to be greater than the glory of the old. You can't get hung up on what used to be because God is a God of present movement. God is a God of forward progression. He ain't done with you yet. You're better than this. There's another version of you you haven't tapped into yet. I know you've given up, but I don't want you to give up. 
I've come to speak hope to somebody this morning. Collect your belongings and get ready to move. God's taking you somewhere. For all of our worship songs about how good God has been to us, it's really sad how quickly we forget that. Well, we sing songs about how good God is in the Father's house, but then trouble comes, and we are quick to forget how good He has been. Go over in the book of Exodus, and you'll read where Israel was living as slaves to Egypt. 430 years. Can I give you a secret? I've never heard anybody else preach this. Slavery can become familiar. 430 years, that's 10 generations. They have never known anything but slavery. Slavery is their familiar. Now we know they didn't like being slaves because Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And here's what he said. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. So they didn't like being slaves. But being slaves was familiar. Uh, keep that in mind as I get ready to preach this. Because you need to understand you can walk out of something and still be, uh, still be attracted to it. I... I, I <laughs> You, you, you can be trying your level best to get free from something but still be attached to it. I, I, I wish I had time to break all this down. But some of us have gotten to this point right here and failed so many times trying to get loose from relationships, trying to get loose from addictions, trying to get loose from mindsets, trying to get loose from our own depression and our chaos and our confusion. And we want out of it. And we cry and we beg God, God, bring me out. But it's the only place where I feel familiar. It's the only thing I've ever known. I don't know what happiness looks like. I don't know what joy feels like. I don't know this task. Some of us are so trapped in the past because it's all we're familiar with. The amazing part of this story is not many days after they escaped Egypt, how quickly they wanted to go back. I mean, they had prayed for 430 years to get free. God brings them out in one night, and less than three days later, they want to go back. How in the world does somebody go back to what they begged God to pull them out of? How does the devil get people to relapse to what they begged God to rescue them from? When you keep reading this story, you might get the impression that all God was trying to do was change their geography. If you read this on a very temporal and a very superficial level, you would think that all God was trying to do was give them some real estate. But if you realize what Egypt meant to these people, you'll know exactly what God was doing. Because Egypt is all they know. Egypt is all they know. It's all they've ever experienced. Some of you are judging folks in your life right now because they keep relapsing. They keep going back and you don't realize they don't know what you know. 
All they have ever known is Egypt's bondage. They don't know. That's what's familiar to them. I'm standing in front of you today about 35 pounds lighter than I was a few months ago, but I've done this before. I want you to understand, this is not the first time I've shed some weight. This is not the first time that I've made up my mind I ain't going back. And then you know what? Gustus starts calling. Y'all ain't going to help me right there. I realize I have an unhealthy relationship with stuff that I shouldn't be eating. I realize that. I know it at 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm shoving ding-dongs and Twinkies in my pie hole. I realize it, but the whole time I'm going, man, this tastes good. If I had some chocolate milk, this would even be better. Y'all not going to help me right there. I'm the only one. I mean, I've done this before. I've been down this road before, but bondage is bondage, and sometimes it's all you know. It's what is familiar. So when stress comes, like, I don't know, remodeling 30,000 square feet, I revert back to eating pizza. Me and Israel ate stuff. We ate an enormous amount of food in this place. I was building walls and laying flooring and painting stuff, and the whole time I'm shoving stuff in my mouth going, I know I ain't supposed to eat this, but it's real good. It's handy, it's fast, and it's here. That's all the requirements I had. So I blew up again, and now I've deflated again. And I'm trying not to go back. But I'm already thinking about stuff I ain't had. Y'all pray for me, I'm a weak man. I mean, the whole time I've been doing this, I've been sending pictures of my wife. Look at this. Look at what they're making now at Pizza Hut. Look at this. She'll send me, I'll go down the aisles, listen, I'm, listen, I like Nutter Butters. Y'all know what Nutter Butters are? When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a tree of it growing in my yard. Y'all know what Nutter Butters are. So I was in the restaurant, I was in the, uh, 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 I was at the supermarket one day, I was buying protein, because that's all I'm allowed to eat. So I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm looking for some specific uh, broth, and I come across, they making Nutter Butters now, dipped in chocolate. I never saw the likes of such. And I kind of just stood there in the aisle like, like I was looking at a work of art. Or, you know, I was a young boy looking at a pretty woman or something. I was just, I know my mouth was open. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to my wife. I said, look what they got. She said, stop that. You're torturing yourself. But I, was, I forgot my name for about 30 seconds. I didn't know, I didn't remember what I was there after. I was like, they got Nutter Butters dipped in chocolate. I want to eat the whole bag. Listen, that's familiar to me. You know what's not familiar to me? Watching other people eat stuff, and I'm over in the corner with a salad going, no, nah, I'm okay. Yeah, this is good too. I know y'all like that pizza and all that grease and all that stuff, but it, really, y'all ought to try these beets. That is unfamiliar territory to me. I'm used to eating what I want, when I want. And I used to be super athletic, and didn't, I didn't matter. I'd just burn off everything. And, and then a wiggle worm turns into a bookworm, and metabolism slows down. You get thyroid issues. There's all kinds of problems in the world. Everybody deals with stress a different way. But what you do is when you get under stress, you go back to what's familiar. And what was familiar to me was cakes and cookies and pizza and all that. God, I'm getting hungry now just listening to myself. So I want you to understand 
Egypt was bondage to them. Amen? But it was also familiar to them. It's all they knew. While they were in Egypt, yes, they were slaves, but it's also where they raised their kids. It's where they were beaten, but it's also where they were fed. Hello? So Egypt is bondage to them and meets some of their needs. A lot of things in our life that becomes familiar to us meet certain needs that we have. And if you don't find a better way to meet those needs, you're always going to be tempted to go back to what was hurting you. They made it out of Egypt and they stood at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is in front of them. The mountains of Gerar is on the right side. The wilderness is on the left side. And Pharaoh's army is beating down their back. And they stood there at the Red Sea and they've never been there before. The Red Sea marks the exit out of slavery. But it's unfamiliar. All they've known is having taskmasters. All they've known is, ha is having slave masters tell them when to get up, when to go to work, when to eat, and when to go to bed. That's all they've ever known. And freedom is in front of them, but it's unfamiliar. What is familiar is going back. And a lot of things in our lives become familiar to us because it meets certain needs that we have. And when a person is faced with unfamiliar trouble, our instinct is to run back to the familiar. Why do you think addicts keep running back? You call them weak. But let me ask you why you keep running back. Before you start putting down people who's got needles in their arms or got uh, uh, liquor up underneath their cabinet that they hide every time you come over, let me ask you why you keep running back to that emotional support system that you have built up. Because one is more addictive than the other, but that, make no mistake, they are just as destructive to your future. Why is it that I keep running back to cheeseburgers and eating whole pizzas by myself? Before I start judging somebody else for what they run back to, why do you keep running back to Susie? Because you know you married. You know she is too. What are you doing touching that thing? Why do you keep running back to there? Because she does things for you that your wife don't. Because he makes you feel certain ways that your husband don't. And you keep running back. So before you start pointing your finger at somebody else's addiction, let me ask you what makes familiarity look so attractive to you. Why do you think people keep running back? Why do you keep going to the wrong kind of people? Making friends with the wrong people. Getting too attached to the wrong people. Because it's familiar. It's dangerous. But it's familiar. It hurts. But it's familiar. It's costing you more than you wanted to pay. But it's familiar. It's killing you. But it's familiar. What if what he brought you out of, he never intended for you to go back to? I pray that we've been able to come back to church, that we never again take church for granted. I pray that now we have gotten back into the sanctuary, that we never complained about how far we had to park just to walk to the building.
or how loud the sound was or how long the service lasted. I pray that we never stand around again bored to death during the praise and worship or play on our phone while the preacher gives us living bread. We didn't know what we had until we lost it. And now that we've come back into the house, I've got a renewed appreciation for what goes on in here. Amen? I thank God that the doors are back open. But the problem is, when faced with traumatic events, people have a proclivity to revert back to what they feel familiar with. And the problem that we have is the same problem that Israel had. But it's also the same problem that the disciples had. You thought I lost my place. I know exactly where I'm at. In John chapter 21, Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected, and Jerusalem is in chaos. They're not used to guys coming out of tombs. You put a guy in a tomb, he's supposed to stay there. So Jerusalem is tore up, and Peter is in trauma. And the Bible says he went fishing. He didn't do what they thought he was going to do. Jesus was supposed to set up a kingdom. They gave up everything. Peter and the other disciples gave away their livelihoods to follow Jesus. But now Jesus has been killed. There's rumors that he's risen from the dead and showed himself to people. And the other rumor is they killed Jesus. Now they're going to start killing everybody who worshipped him. Peter is going through a traumatic event in his life. So in order to deal with the trauma, he says, I'm going fishing. Now, let's get something straight. Fishing is not a sin. Or else some of us brothers are in trouble. Owning a boat is not a sin. But for Peter, his boat is an issue that he struggles with for years. When Jesus got ready to start his board of ministers, he didn't choose 12 preachers. He he chose some rough around the edges individuals. And Peter was a lot of things, but when Jesus found him, Peter was a businessman. He was a fisherman. He fished for a living. And all the brothers said, amen, amen. All right. I heard somebody break out in the spirit of Fonzie Fazarella about that. Oh, yeah. See, 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 he had an opportunity to say no. But once he started following Jesus, here's what Jesus told him. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Peter's already a fisherman, but now he's telling him, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, he's calling Peter to leave what he's familiar with for something that he's going to have to learn how to do. He said, follow me and I will. I'll, I'll do it because you're not, you're not it already. I will make you. Every time Jesus calls you, he's calling you to let him make you something. He's saying, you're familiar with where you are, but I'm not satisfied with where you are. I want you to come and I will make you something else. Jesus knows you're better than this. He knows that you are better than who you are right now. 
And God doesn't meet with you and have a board meeting to discuss his plans for your life. I'm going to tell you something. You won't always like what God's doing in your life. I remember when God called me to preach. This was a long time ago, but I still remember it vividly. Because I said, I'm not your guy. I assumed that God in his old age had gotten a little slack with his aim. And he sent that anointing down to somebody else and I must have knocked them out the way and stepped into it. Because I looked up to heaven several times and said, God, I'm not your guy. They won't listen to me. See, God called me to preach when I was going to my hometown church. They knew the B.C. bishop. I kept telling God, God, you got to find somebody else. These people, and I thought I would be there forever. I never knew I was moved. I didn't know ministry was going to take me this far north. I didn't know any of this. I thought I would be there forever. And I said, God, you're going to have to call somebody else. These people are not going to listen to me. You're going to have to get somebody that ain't never fornicated, somebody that never got drunk, somebody that didn't uh, lay out all night, somebody that didn't burn down houses in this neighborhood. You're going to have to find somebody else because what I have done and who I've been, they won't get over. I was familiar with one mindset that people judge you on where they met you not what you have become but I've come here this morning to tell somebody there is a big difference between who you are and what you are called to be. That's why he said, I will make you fishers of men. And it don't matter if folks get sideways, get upset, if it hair lips every person that you know in town, God will make you something that you were not when he found you because his plan for you is to prosper you and to anoint you and to bring you to something that you have not yet been. God's not finished with you. You're better than this. I, if I'm putting a ministerial board together in this church, I'm not choosing Peter. Peter got too much mouth. He's radical. I know Peter ain't sanctified. I wonder if he's saved. He's got a temper. He's hot-headed. I don't want him on my board. He'd be in there causing all kinds of chaos, cussing out little girls. One of the deacons say something he don't like, he'll pull out a switchblade, cut his ear off. I don't want Peter on my board. Flips out. At the drop of a hat, swears he's going to stick by Jesus' side and then denies him three times. He's inconsistent. Barely coherent. Loose language. I don't want Peter on my board. But Jesus had a calling on his life. And I wonder if we're honest in this church this morning that we realize that God calls people that we wouldn't call and anoints folks to do things that we wouldn't think they could do. As a matter of fact, I wonder if we're honest in this church this morning and say, I know I'm anointed, but I also know I got some issues. I know I haven't sprouted wings yet. I know God uses me in a very significant way, but I know I'm not perfect. And if God can do it in my life, then surely he can do it in their life. And he can do it in the ex-addict's life. And he can do it in the ex-fornicator's life. And while I'm at it, let me just drop a hint. If he can do it in your life with your drunk self, if he can do it in your life with your fornicating self, if he can do it in your life. You used to ride in a town drunk on a donkey. Jesus rode in anointed on a donkey. And if he can do it for you, he can take the homosexual and do it. He can take the drunks and do it. He can take the addicts and do it. He can take your enemies and do it. My God. Because you're better than this, but guess what? So are they. 
And the problem that, that the resurrection exposed was this. Jesus rose from the dead, which is what he promised to do. But it wasn't familiar. So Peter ran back to his boat. Because no matter how dedicated he was to Jesus, he never gave that ship away. Can I ask you a question? And I'm going to point it at Peter so you don't think I'm stepping on your toes. If you really believe that you're going to be a fisher of men, why you still got the title of that boat? See, the boat represents all the stuff that we hold on to just in case what God said doesn't work out. Now, it's going to get real quiet in here, but I need to ask you, what do you run to when you're traumatized? Where do you go to find your comfort? Because wherever you go when things get too tough, that's your boat. I just admitted to you, when I get stressed, Jesus won't let me do any of the other sins I used to commit. So when I get stressed, I eat the wrong stuff and eat too much of it. That's my boat. I realize that I'm standing in front of you this morning recognizing it and admitting it to you. Some people have gotten so far away from their boat that they do run to prayer. They do run to fasting. They do run to worship. But then there are circumstances in your life that things are so unfamiliar that you start looking back over your shoulder. I know none of y'all have ever been here, so just pray for the bishop because I'm not as holy as y'all are. But there are things in my life that become so unfamiliar, and I know freedom is in front of me. I know that Christ is calling me to something greater. I know that I'm supposed to cross over this Red Sea, but I don't know what that's like. I do know what this is like, and I know it's a devil, but at least it's familiar. And I know that it hurts me, but at least it's familiar. And I know I'm going to regret it in the morning, but at least it's familiar. Is there anybody in this church that knows what it's like to have freedom looking you in the eye, but you're so addicted to what used to be. Israel's boat was Egypt. They kept wanting to go back. Moses had a boat. His name was Aaron. God's calling him to be his preacher, and he's always trying to get Aaron to do it. So Peter ran back to the boat like Jesus couldn't find him there. Like God forgot where the boat was. Like he could hide out on a boat and God not find him. But every time Peter got in a boat, in the story, there was always trouble. Peter got in a boat one time and the storm broke out and he went down and insulted Jesus. Don't you care that we died? Jesus wipes the sleep out of his eyes and says, You big dummy. That's not in your King James Version. That's the hillbilly Appalachian vernacular version. I brought that with me from McDowell County. You won't find it. He said, oh, ye of little faith. Another time a storm broke out, Jesus came walking on the water. And you know what his command to Peter was then? And this was actually a precursor to what is going to happen at the end. He told Peter, get out of that boat. What are you still doing in that boat? Why, why is it every time trouble breaks out in your life, you look around and you're... 
Why is it that you come up to the altar, every revival you get resaved, every good service you get rededicated, every time we have Rhema uh, Wednesday you come up and you rededicate, but every time trouble breaks out in your life there's always one reoccurring theme. Have you noticed that? You're always standing on the boat. I know, I know you're going to sit there and look sideways at me and tell me that it don't happen to you, but too many of you have come in my office, too many of you have met me in altars for me not to believe that you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know you do good with God for a while until things get unfamiliar or you get stressed out or trauma happens and you run back to that boat and you look around and you're like how did I get in this mess how did I get here again me and God was doing so good me and my family was doing so good look around you'll always realize oh my goodness I'm back on this stupid boat I was over there why don't I sell this thing why don't I burn it why don't I set it on fire but every time I get stressed out I run back to this boat I realized three months ago standing in my living room I'm on the boat again I can't hardly see it Because my belly's too big. But I've run back to this stupid boat again. And if I think God's doing something new in my life, why do I still own this boat? You've heard enough good preaching in your lifetime to be free from everything. You've sang enough gospel songs and have enough of a playlist in your, in your uh, phone that you should be free from whatever the devil would bring your way. But what you don't account for is trauma. And Peter got traumatized. They put Jesus on trial. The same ones that shouted on Palm Sunday turned their backs on him. They asked for Barabbas to be freed. Where were the ones that was eating his fish and loaves? Where were the ones that, 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 that benefited from seeing him uh, uh, raise the dead? Things got bad quick for Peter. They buried Jesus. Peter's hiding for his life. So Peter says, I go a-fishing. I'm going back where I have control. I'm going back where I feel safe. I'm going to go back to what I'm good at. He relapsed to the familiar. The only problem was Peter went back to what he used to do and it didn't work. I don't want to get into a spirit of prophecy here, but I've been praying that some of y'all will go back to the boat because I know y'all keep returning. I'm praying this over myself that when you go back to the boat, you'll find it dry like Peter did. I have seen too many of you have this relationship in your marriage. I've seen too many of you have this relationship with Christ. I've seen too many of you have this relationship with faith. You're doing real good for a while and then trauma happens and you run back to Jack Daniels. You run back to the needle. You run back to that person that you know is not uh, good for you. I've seen too much of this and I'm praying that the next time you go back to that boat, you're going to be like Peter. You go out there and toil all night and don't catch a thing. You're going to realize that God has dried up your source because he's wanting you to look at one place for your happiness one place for your peace one place for you be content I'm better than this God knows you're better than this and he's going to dry up your season to make you find the better you you got to get to a place that every born again Christian has come to understand I've got nothing left to go back to do you really think life on the boat is better this time around than it was before you really think this time he's going to leave his husband his wife 
You really think this time she's going to leave her husband? You really think this time your kids are going to understand? Do you really think this time God's going to nod and wink at your sin? Do you really think that I can go back to eating what I want to eat and not gain weight? Just pray God, take the calories out. Speaking tongues over that bowl of spaghetti. Cast them demonic carbs right out. You think I can do that? Will y'all bind and pray with me? You really think that this time on the boat's going to be any different than the last 27 times you tried it? Peter goes back fishing, which is not a problem, but it's a problem for Peter because that's where he runs. When things aren't exactly the way he feels comfortable, he runs back to the familiar. He runs back to that boat, and Jesus finds him on the boat. And I read this story for years, and I never caught the tone that I believe I catch now. Why do you think Jesus asked that question? He could have asked him a million things like, Hey, Peter, what are you doing on that boat? Or, hey, guys, yo, it's me. Look at the holes. Half of y'all don't believe I'm alive, but here I am. He could have done a lot of things. And his one question was, did you catch anything? He could, he could have approached this a million different ways. And his only question to these boys was, Oh, I see you fished all night. What'd you catch? Because it made Peter realize I ran back to what I always run to. And it was dry. It didn't work this time. And look at how hard Peter's working to make something work. Bible says he done fished clean out of his clothes. Now, I've done a lot of fishing. I've catfished all night. I've bash fished all day. We fished on boat out on Lake Erie. Us men in the church, we, we used to take a yearly trip up the Lake Erie and walleye fish. And it gets hot on that boat out on Lake Erie. But I ain't never fished in the nude. And I ain't stayed on no boat with any other brothers that's going to be fishing in the nude. That does not my idea of a good time. Keep as much on as humanly possible. You can take your hat off. Stop right there. I ain't into this. But Peter has fished all night and come all the way out of his clothes. He is trying so hard to make something work that God himself has blocked. And some of you under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching by live stream or you're in this room, you know what it feels like to run back to the familiar, the thing that that you know you're not supposed to have, but you run back to it because you feel safe there. I'm praying the Spirit dries up what you used to run back to. Because he found Peter on that boat, and he'd fished so hard and so long that he'd come out of his clothes. And he's, he's so busy trying to make the boat work, he doesn't recognize who's talking to him. Read the story. The Bible says he, he yelled, hey, did you catch anything? Peter's like, I got time for this. Bunch of spectators. We've been fishing all night. Ain't caught nothing. Here I am naked. By the way, he ain't naked alone. He's, he's in the boat with other guys. <laughs> I don't know if they're naked too. The Bible doesn't say, but the Bible does say 
that Peter got so engrossed in the familiar, he didn't recognize the voice of the master because the Bible says it was John who recognized who was speaking. I've preached all morning, 50 minutes and 26 seconds to tell you this. If you keep running back to the familiar, don't be surprised when you miss the voice of the freedom that's calling you. If you keep trying to work the familiar, if you keep running back to where you feel safe, don't be surprised when you can no longer hear the voice that's calling you to freedom. Pastor, does that mean God doesn't care about me? No, it's he knows you're better than this. But him knowing it doesn't do you any good. Every parent in this room knows what it feels like to know that your kid is capable of doing better and doing more than they. But until they believe, until they receive it, it doesn't do a bit of good for you to continue to tell them that they can do better because they have to believe it. He was so busy trying to make the boat work, he missed the Lord coming his way. And if you keep running back to that boat, you're going to miss him every single time. And you know what happens when you miss the Lord? You keep asking him to, to give you things he's already given you. You keep asking him to do things that he's already doing. And you can't see it from the boat. I only want to talk to my weak brothers and sisters in here this morning. Pastor, why would you say that? Because in your weakness, he's made strong. So for the rest of my time with you this morning, I only want to talk to the weak, the wounded, the hurt, the damaged. I'm going to say it. The scared. Israel's problem wasn't that God wasn't with them. Israel's problem was that they were scared of something new. It's amazing what folks can get used to. Women will call the police because their boyfriend is beating them goofy. And by the time the police get there, she'll fight the cops to keep him. Because that's familiar. It's amazing what people get, familiar, get used to. Addicts will run back to stuff they know is going to kill them. Doctors will tell you, if you don't quit smoking, you're going to be dead in three months. Run back to the familiar. It's amazing what people will get used to. A wife will cover up her husband who cheats on her over and over and over and over. And, instead, and, and she'll just keep covering it up and acting like, well, he loves me. The rest of these are just distractions. It's amazing what people get used to. Familiarity. And there are people that sit in church pews every Sunday and say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. Thank you for everything you're doing in my life. And then they leave the church and they run back to the familiar. Stuff they know they're not supposed to touch. Things they know they're not supposed to do. People they know they should cut out of their life and they run right back to it because they're used to it. I want to talk to those that are weak this morning. You're better than this. You're better than this. You're better than that bottle you keep hid up underneath the counter. 
You're better than that bed you keep jumping into. You're, you're better than that spirit of rebellion and hatefulness that you get in to build this shell up so nobody can hurt you again. You're better than this. And I want to offer you a deal this morning. I'd like to purchase your boat. I would would like for you to bring the title of that rascal up here to this altar this morning and lay it down. And I want to offer you the joy of the Lord for the title for your boat. I'm better than this. I'm tired of going back. I'm tired of every time calamity hits my life, I look around and I'm on that stupid boat again. I mean, you would think that at least the devil would have to come up with some new tricks to get me. But he just shows me that boat and I run back and jump back on it again. It's time for me to sell this thing. Pastor, if I get up and come to that altar, people are going to think I'm weak. Exactly. But in your weakness, He's made strong. So I'd like some weak people. I've already admitted my weakness to you up here this morning. And that's not the only one I got, but that's the one I'm going to share this morning. i got to get off this boat. i got to quit letting stress drive me to a place where I run back to what is familiar even though I know it's killing me. So I'm inviting you to come up and sell me your boat this morning. And if you'll leave your deed and really mean it, you're going to take the joy of the Lord back with you. It's an exercise in faith. i got to get off this boat. Where are you at? we got a few weak folks up here that joined me in my weakness. Where's the rest of you at? I know transition's hard. We're going through transitions with the weather, right? One day it's 90, next day it's 22. It's hard to know what to wear. Transitions is a challenge. God is challenging you right now to make a transition. To stop going back to Egypt. To stop going back to that boat. I'm not telling you things are going to get easier. What I'm telling you is you'll plow through if you know that you've got nowhere to go back to. I'm not going back to that boat again. You're in a transition. Transitions are tough. They're challenging, but God's going to see you through.